0: Amen. Well, guys, would you grab a Bible? Uh, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Hope you brought a Bible and you're making your way there. If you didn't, there are Bibles around you, chairs in front of you. You can grab a Bible. Got page numbers on the screen so you can even get there rapidly. As again, we're here in Ephesians 6 on Sunday morning longing that as we work through a section that is devoted to spiritual warfare and the armor of God, that God would speak to us what he has for us. If you have an electronic device, that works as well. And we give the same invitation to you in the overflow and those who are joining us online. We just want you to be fully with us. Grab a Bible so that you're not just listening but seeing seeing what God would speak to you through his word. And we hope that this morning that would just work into you a really just good thing. And so let's take a moment and ask for it. We've opened up the Bibles. Let's take a moment to just pray and open up our hearts to God. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray and you would just ask God to personally speak to you through his word this morning. God, right now we come, we ask for this. And I think about what you've promised us, that the work of the spirit would meet each one of us. And I just want that. I pray for Jesus, what you spoke of in the book of Revelation, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And I love that that reality actually would be different around the room because what we need to hear this morning is different. But you're able to do that, taking this passage, this section, and speaking into us what we need. And Lord, I just want to ask you to do that. Meet us, each one of us, right where we are, right what we need. And by the power of the Spirit, Help us to hear what you have. We pray for that here, and I pray for it for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the best defense is often a good offense. I mean, you guys knew that, right? You probably heard it in sports terms or maybe in military strategy. Interestingly enough, the first record we have of that phrase actually comes from George Washington, of course, his vernacular was a little different. He says it this way. He says, offensive operations oftentimes is the surest, if not the only, in some cases, means of defense. Or said again, simply, the best defense is sometimes a good offense. I want you to know that reality this morning as we press into this, because that's what God is holding out to us, we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. We're going to talk about what that is. And it's in the midst of a section where we've been talking about the entire armor of God. All that God would give us and all that he would just you know, put into our lives in this space. And yet as we look on this one specifically, in one sense, it is our offensive weapon. Out of all the things that are mentioned here in this section, really everything is defense, and this one becomes kind of both. It is defensive and offensive. It's that where we really press the battle before and with the enemy, and so it becomes one of the most effective, most just intentional ones that can actually change reality for us. So we really want to see that this morning. We really want to talk about that. But before we do that, we want to just pause and back up and set the context. Again, this is a section. We've been working through a whole series on this, talking about spiritual warfare. So we have a whole number of studies that have led up to this. And I want to kind of remind you of what we've seen. We've kind of done this in an interesting way. At least it is to me. It's not normal for us in the sense that every week I've kind of come to this place and I've said almost the same thing. Not exactly word for word, but kind of the same thing, but it's repetition is intentional. Because I'm hoping that in its repetition, you're hearing and God is building this reality into your life. So with that repetition, let's go back and see what God has been speaking to us. You got your Bibles open there to Ephesians 6. Go to the beginning of that section that begins in verse 10. And as you get there, we get this offer from God where he invites us to be strong. Notice what it says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Yeah, really, really good. God is telling us, hey, he wants to be strength in our life, that we can be strong from him. So needed, so necessary, specifically here. Because this strength is specifically being offered to us in a battle, a war, in a real, personal, spiritual war. A battle that happens around the world, but it's happening in our lives. Keep reading. Verse 11. but it's not, it's not a physical battle. It's not with flesh and blood. In fact, that's not really our enemies. We make a mistake if we look at our world and we think, hey, the big deal are politicians or millionaires or billionaires as if they were really the, just the influence that's changing the shape of the world. There's a spiritual battle behind the scenes. And our real enemy isn't people, it's the devil. And he's working, not only himself, but with his forces, these principalities, these powers, these rulers that are demonic forces arrayed on our world that are changing and affecting everything. And he's letting us know, hey, that's a battle you need to be aware of, not only because it's affecting the world, but because it's affecting you. Because he tells us there, again, in verse 12, you just notice the first little section there, we do not wrestle. Maybe that key word there for you to understand is Wrestling. That's personal. Wrestling is a hand to hand combat. Wrestling isn't something that's just happening, you know, way outside of you. This is a personal battle that you are involved in, whether you realize it or not, that the devil is at work in our lives. Now, that's intimidating. I don't know if it just kind of strikes you that way, but if you could see it, it's like, wow, okay, that's a little bit bigger than I thought, and boy, that's a little bit scary. But see, it's exactly there where he speaks to us because he wants to let us know that we can withstand, we can stand against all that Satan would have for us. Notice there in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand. That's the invitation. He's telling us that we can withstand this, that the battle, though it's real, it's not something that needs to have us in in a kind of place where we're shaking in our our boots that we can't handle it. He says, you can. Everything that Satan wants to work against you, you could withstand that in his strength, in his power, but he gives us hope, and I long that that's what's happening, that whatever's happening in the midst of our series and even through this day, I wanna give you just potential. I mean, like, wow, we could actually stand against that. I mean, there's a way to overcome, and yet that overcoming is standing in God's strength. Now, he pictures that for us with this idea of the whole armor of God. Again, this morning, we're going to look at one piece of that, the sword of the Spirit, but it's one of seven. Seven pieces that is listed here in this section, each one kind of defining and giving us a picture of what God would be in our lives, of the strength that he would give us in this situation. They're not magical or metaphysical pieces. Again, these are pictures of, of God's power in our life. Now, each one needs to be understood, and we literally need each piece as we stand and think about the things that are there. But one of the things we've hold, held out to you over the last few weeks is it's not just important to understand what he's offering to us, but how he's telling us to do it, the action word that defines that. So let's go back and read that, as we want to just notice this section where he's going to show us there are things that we have and things that we need to take up. So we'll read through that, picking it up there in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god yeah so there's this section where in one sense we're looking at things that we have and there are things that we need to take There are things that we are always to have. We've kind of held that out to you over the last few weeks, that if you can think about these first three realities, they are realities that you can have and should have all the time. These are things that God would want you to always just be a part of your life, always be a part of the way that you see the world. And we've kind of said if you do these things well, they're almost become your worldview, the way with which you view the reality that's taking place around you. So again, just a quick reminder of where we've been over the last few weeks. We saw that we need to have ourselves girded with truth, and we talked about then that truth is God's truth. In a world that is marked by lies, but with an enemy that's known as the father of lies, one of the fundamental realities you need to know is that there is truth that doesn't change. There is solid, unbendable, unshakable, unalterable truth that is 100% solid, and it's God's truth. It's God's word that would hold us, and that reality needs to be there with us. Secondly, you need to understand that we need this righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means to be right with God, and the only way that anybody ever can be right with God is through Jesus. That definitive understanding not only is vital to how people get saved, it's vital to how we live, that our lives are meant to be lived because it's Jesus. It's Jesus at the beginning of our Christian life. It's Jesus at the middle of our Christian life. It's Jesus that takes us to heaven. There's not any sense, according to what Galatians would say, hey, that we're going to begin in the spirit and then try to take over with the flesh. No, we're going to recognize it's God. It's always that, that basis of understanding that how we're made right is through Christ. And then we need to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we talked about then that in one sense, we're to be ready to share the gospel the preparation of the gospel of peace. The reality is that you're in a world that if you're a Christian, this is not your world. We really belong in heaven. This isn't our future, this isn't our eternity. We're left here on purpose and one of the reasons we're left here is to be the light of the world, the light of God in this dark world. So we should live our lives every day with a readiness like God, help people to see Jesus in me. Help them to see who that is. Now they need to see it, but honestly, it would help you that if you could remember who you are in this world, it becomes one of the things that holds your life against the lies of the devil. So these three things, again, are things that you should have all the time. These should be a worldview so that in one sense, you look at the whole world this way, that you see the world and go, there's truth. And the only way to be made right is Jesus. And I know where I am. I'm, I'm, I'm here in this world to let people see Jesus, but they're not my home but I want people to see Jesus in me. And those realities would, again, not only be right, but they would actually protect you from some of the things that Satan's seeking to do in this world. Okay, so those first three things are things you're supposed to have. The second three are things that you're supposed to take up. And the idea is this understanding that God would provide you what you need to have in the midst of a spiritual battle. One of the key phrases is the one found in verse 13. Go back and notice it with me. There in Ephesians 6, we saw it. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, notice, in the evil day. And having done all to stand. The simple reality is Satan is always our enemy, but we're not always in the battle. Uh, Like any war, there's the war and there are battles. There are moments when Satan is doing his best to mess up your life. There are moments, there are battles, and those battles are important for you to understand when they take place. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, specifically when we did the shield of faith. So if that's something that's still kind of just confusing to you, you might want to go back and get that message or see it online. We have it on YouTube, all that stuff. Um, But one of the keys is to be able to grow in your life that you'd recognize. Okay, this is a satanic moment. This is an evil day. This is a space where Satan's at work in my life and you need to recognize when that's happening because when you recognize it, there are things that you need to take up. So if it works like an illustration for you, imagine it this way. You know, you're kind of there. and if You can think about, you know, a soldier who's in camp. He's waiting for the battle to take place, but it's not yet taking place, but he's kind of walking around. He's got his breastplate on. He's got his shoes on, got his belt on. I mean, he's ready. But as soon as the trumpet sounds, As soon as it's like, okay, battle's engaging. That's when you put on your helmet and you grab your your shield and you grab your sword and you head into battle. Yeah, these are the things that we need to take up. So we've covered the first two already. There is a sense that we need in that moment to take up the shield of faith. That if you find yourself in that spiritual battle, one of the key facts is to trust God. Not trust yourself, not to get your eyes on yourself, but to do what it tells us in Proverbs. You know, trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding. It's like, God, I trust you. I trust you. That's that's vital. That would help you overcome the fiery darts that Satan would be throwing. Then you need to have this helmet of salvation that we talked about last week. This place where you recognize the assurance of your salvation. That it is well. It is well with my soul kind of reality. Really one of the things that if you can really see it, if you're a Christian, you actually can't lose. I mean, if you stay in this world, God works through your life. If you go home to heaven, you go home to heaven. I mean, it's a win-win scenario for you in this battle. And if that helmet of salvation would be on you, it again protects you from so much of Satan's lies. So all that brings us here, we've seen all of these things, but now we get to this sixth one where we get to talk about today, specifically, that in that evil day, in that moment where Satan's attacking, one of the key things you need to know how to do is to take up the sword of the Spirit, which he says, again, is the Word of God. Yeah, that's what we're going to look at this morning, and so all that kind of brings us to that, all that's background to where we are. Now notice again, just have it there in Ephesians 6. I just want you to see it, follow along again in the text where he tells us, and take the helmet of salvation, which we talked about last week, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, so he says, here's what you need to do. In that moment, you need to take the sword of the Spirit. Well, the sword is specifically a specific word of God. It's an interesting thing. The word that's used here for sword, it's not the long sword that would be used, you know, by, you know, horse, you know, soldiers on horses that swing around. This is a short Roman sword, and it's one used in hand-to-hand combat, but it's specific. the the word that's translated word here where it says the word of God, it's not the Greek word logos. And I recognize not all of you would even understand what that is, but the New Testament written in Greek, and so there's a number of words that speak in the same way we would say things. Logos, when that is used for the idea of the word of God, it speaks of everything. The comprehensive truth of God Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the Logos, it tells us in John 1. But it's everything. It's all that God is saying to us, the comprehensive part of his truth. That's not this word, though. This word is rhema, which has the idea of a specific word, has the idea of something that God is speaking very specifically to you. It has the idea of a verse, a promise that isn't just comprehensive. It's exactly what God would give you in that moment that you need in that space. Now, I think that's really, really powerful, and I think it's important for you to to so understand this. So let me even just give it to you in somebody else's words in case he can say it better than I just said it. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this, says, you know, the term Paul uses here for word is not logos, which refers to general statements or messages, but it's rhema, which refers to individual words or particular statements. The apostle, he says, is therefore not talking here about general knowledge of the scripture, but emphasizing precision of specific truths, understanding something very specifically that God is speaking and saying, and that powerful in your life. Now, that's where we need to go this morning, but again, it kind of helps us kind of see it in everything that we've talked about, because in one sense, we've already talked about the Word of God, right? I mean, we talked about girding our, word, our, our lives with truth, and I told you guys who were here then, that's the Bible. The Bible is the unshakable, you know, unalterable truth of God, and believing that girds your life. It surrounds you. That's true. But this is not talking about it in the same way. We're not talking about all of God's truth. We're talking about a very specific truth something that he would want to speak to you. Okay, so that's at least a little bit helpful. We're hopefully getting closer. So this word, this idea of a sword is a specific word of God. What does that look like? I mean, how does that work? Well, the best way to see this is to see it in Jesus. The best way for you to understand this is to watch how this works in Jesus's life. So here's what I want you to do. Keep your finger or keep your bulletin or whatever here in Ephesians six, we will be back. But then I want you to turn. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 4, gospel of Matthew chapter 4. Again, if you have one of the church Bibles, page 1,494, make your way there. If you have your own, again, just first book of the New Testament, first gospel, gospel of Matthew chapter 4. As you're making your way there, this is where we see Jesus, and this is a moment where Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Certainly the battle that we need to understand, because you and I are in a battle, that's we're talking about. We're talking about a battle with our enemy, and I want you just to watch as best you can this battle and this moment as Jesus faces the devil. So let's read through the whole thing, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. There in Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he, that is Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. Then he said to him, If you are the Son of God, "'Throw yourself down, for it is written, "'He shall give his angels charge over you, "'and in their hands they shall bear you up, "'lest you dash your foot against a stone.' "'Jesus said to him, "'It is written, again, "'you shall not tempt the Lord your God.' "'Again, the devil took him up "'on an exceedingly high mountain "'and showed him all the kingdoms of the world "'and their glory. "'And he said to him, "'All these things,' I will give you if you just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Wow. I mean, this is quite an incredible scene. I mean, there are so many things happening in this text, things that would help us understand Jesus, and we watch how this works, and we could talk about the nature of temptation and what's taking place in this. Again, there's great weight in understanding each place that Jesus was tempted and what's happening in the midst of it, but I want you just to notice one thing, that just really one thing that I want you to see about this that is in every temptation... Jesus responds to the devil's accusations and temptations simply by saying, it is written. Yeah, he simply quotes the word of God. Yeah, each, in each attack, he takes a verse from the Bible, and just quotes it word for word. He does this quoting, if you're just interested, they're from the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 8 and chapter 6, there are all three of these verses, so he obviously was reading in that. That's kind of fun for some of us who are doing the Bible reading. We're in Deuteronomy. Well, so was he. Um, But in one sense, again, it's just a powerful reality. One of the things I just want you to understand more than anything else right now is I just want you to see that, that at each space, all three times, Jesus responds with this understanding that it was a truth of God, that it was a word of God, it was a verse that he was able to kind of claim and say it again each time it is written. So we think about what this looks like and trying to say it this way, if Jesus, the Son of God, used the word of God to overcome the devil, so should you. It becomes a pattern for your life. If Jesus, who is God, and he faced down the devil in this moment, and how he faced down the devil was to quote scriptures, I just want you to understand that's incredibly powerful and applicational. He didn't defeat Satan in his glory or power. There's a lot behind this, but here's what we know. Jesus is both fully God and fully man, but when he lived life on earth, he lived fully as a man. He never stopped being God, but he gave up, he didn't take advantage of the prerogatives of God. that It tells us in Philippians that he laid those down, so he didn't live every day with omniscience or omnipotence. He didn't walk around knowing everything, seeing everything. He lived life as a man. So much so that he could become one who fully understands us. That it would tell us in Hebrews that because he lived that way, he's a good example for us. He was tempted in all ways as we are. And, and so when he faced things, he faced them the way that we should face them. So that it can be said, follow Jesus. Or as Paul would say, imitate me as I'm imitating Jesus. That Jesus becomes the pattern for our lives. So when Jesus faces down Satan, he doesn't do so tapping into his, you know, nature as God. He doesn't show out the Shekinah glory of God and just like, you know, defeat him in a moment. He rests on promises from the Bible. He he, he, he claims each promise, speaks each promise into that moment in a way that you can and could and should. And that changes everything. And that changes everything. And again, I I think that is such an incredible reality. And I think it's so important that one more time, I'm gonna give you a couple other people that say the same thing I just said, but maybe say it differently so that we make sure we don't miss what it just said. Charles Spurgeon, who is always great in the way that he says it, said it this way. Now, if our Lord and master selected this true Jerusalem blade of the word of God, let us not hesitate for a moment but grasp and hold fast to this one true weapon of the saints in all times. Cast away the wooden sword of carnal reasoning. Trust not in human eloquence, but arm yourself with the solemn declaration of God who cannot lie. Jesus, he says, selected the best weapon. What was best for him is best for you. Jesus selected the best weapon and if it was what he needed, it's what you need. What was best for him in that moment is what's best for you in that moment and and there's no way that you could look at it and think, well, you know, I don't really need that. I mean, other people might. Well, I mean, if Jesus did, you do. Kent Hughes would say it this way. He says, may the lesson not be wasted. If Christ, the divine man in battling Satan while here on the earth did so with the sword of the word, how much more? Do we frail men and women need to wield the same sword if we are to be victorious? I mean, if Jesus, who's perfect, he trusted in the word of God, and we are so just not, but we need the same thing. If if he did that, we need that. What he does is what we so desperately need, that it's wielding the truth of the power of God specifically into our situations that literally can change Africa. I just want you to notice it again. So you have your Bible there in Matthew 4. Again, just I love the way it just tells it to us and just gives it to us. I just want you to notice it there in verse 4. He answered and said, it is written. And then down in verse 7, and Jesus said to him, it is written. And again in verse 10, and Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written. He does that. And then one more time, notice what happens. Verse 11, then the devil left him. And the angels came and ministered to him. Remember that, because we'll come back and talk about that in a moment. But I just want you to see that this is that which brought the victory. This is that which is there, and if he needed it, you need that. If this is what you could see, I just want to tell you he's seeking to give you something that is incredibly effective, and not only are we getting just the the exhortation to it from Ephesians, we have the example in Jesus that this is becoming the thing that we so desperately need, that wielding this thing, having the sword of the Spirit in our lives, it's that that can bring about the victory. So I think that's making a little sense, at least I hope so. Hope you're going to track in with me for a moment. We need this specific word of God. We watched it happen in Jesus. So maybe it's just best to be practical. So how do you do that? If this is something that is going to become helpful and effective in your life, how should you wield the, Spirit, the sword of the Spirit in your life? Well, there's probably a lot that could be said here, more than what I'm going to say, but what I'm going to say is certainly true. If The sword of the Spirit is going to be that that brings victory for you. There are a number of things you need. And and maybe the the first one is just simply telling you, you need to read it. (laughs) Uh, Like, you need to read the Bible. I mean, if you're going to get truths of the scripture and they're really going to work into your life what they need to work, there's no way to do that outside of the context of the whole. This is important. Again, because we do live in a day where some people are kind of you know, devotional Christians, like everything they have is just a few verses and some devotional thoughts without really understanding the truth that's behind it. And yet, the Bible, God tells us everything we need for life and godliness is found here in the book. You need to read it. I mean, we don't have time to go into it at all, but Satan misused it. And part of the temptation that Satan kind of brings against Jesus, he quotes and misapplies verses. And if you don't know the Bible, you would be like, well, I guess it's the Bible. You, know, like, you, know, so you, you could be led astray. And so you need to become one that says, okay, if I, if I believe this, then I should be one that reads the Bible. And I just think you should. I think you should read the whole thing. I think you should read it over and over. You will never exhaust the scriptures. You'll never get yourself outside of it. But I do believe that there's a sense that if you believe what I'm telling you, well, certainly you should value the Bible enough to read it. But then, not only being someone who reads the Bible, you ought to be one who finds specific verses that speak into your life, specific verses of what you need. Now, the best way to get that is out of your own Bible reading, like you're reading the Bible and a verse just is like, that's my verse, that's that's a good verse for me. But here's what I want you to think through. If we're going to do well in this battle with, with Satan, one of the things that needs to happen is we need to know ourselves, Christians. Know thyself kind of thing. Because you ought to be aware of where Satan's attacking. Yeah, oh, notice with me. So let's leave Matthew 4. We won't be back to that. We're going to go back over to Ephesians. So hopefully you kept a marker there so you can get there really rapidly. Go back over to Ephesians chapter 6. And look at verse 11 with me for a moment. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, able to stand Excuse me against the wiles of the devil. That, Notice that phrase, wiles. We talked about that back when we did that verse, but I just give it to you quickly. It has the idea of strategy, has the idea that he's scheming. You ought to be able to stand against Satan's schemes in your life, and it helped us understand that Satan actually, he's not just working generically, he works specifically. Like he actually studies you and tries to figure out what makes you tick and, and, and where you're gonna fall. So his temptations flow into our lives in a very specific way, had we time. We could go back to Jesus, and we could look at the temptations that Satan brought, and they were very specific temptations. They were the temptations that touched the very realities that Jesus was longing for, the very things he was facing. They dealt with his physical hunger that he had at that moment. They dealt with the weight of the cross that was bearing down upon him and kind of taking away the, the power of the, the, the work of the cross. They, they dealt with his desire for people to see the glory of God and to kind of manipulate that instead of walking through things God's ways. There's a lot of realities there, but if you could see it, these were the things that were really the struggles and the realities that Jesus was facing. Well, I just want to tell you this. You have struggles, you have things that are uniquely yours, and if you could do well at this, then you need to know yourself. Because here's the thing what Satan knows about you, you should be able to know better. You know where you struggle. You know what things are, are the kind of things that when Satan kind of attacks into your life, you know. I mean, if you know yourself, you know what it is. You know that maybe he presses into you kind of dealing with anger, or maybe he deals with jealousy, or, or fear, or maybe it's kind of, you know, just concerns or worry. Maybe it's pride or lust, and maybe all those things and more. But there ought to be a way that you know, like I know. <laughs> like when Satan picks on me, this is how he picks on me. Like when, when temptation gets thrown into my life, I know. I know the things that I struggle with. You should know them. Not in some kind of you know, weird, you know, ultra, kind of just overly focusing on yourself kind of way, but not being surprised. It's like, I know what I struggle with. And if you know what you struggle with, then you should find verses that speak to that struggle. I mean, really. I mean, there ought to be a sense that when you think about it, there ought to be a space, because you know what you're struggling with, You ought to arm yourself with verses that speak into that. Now, the best way that it happens, again, is just reading the Bible. And out of your own Bible reading, God speaks to you. But there's just no limit to how you could come across these. I mean, you could ask people like, hey, what's a good verse that deals with this? Or you could just hop on the internet and do a search, right? Like, what are good verses? You would find there's some crazy resources out there. where It's like, hey, here's some good verses that speak to this struggle. And you should find verses out of that that just speak to you. It's like, man, that's exactly what I struggle with. That's exactly the thing that I wrestle with, and that's the kind of truth that I need. Well, I wanna tell you, you should grab those. You should grab those, and you should keep them. You should write them down. You should somehow have a list that's just your list. I mean, you should maybe put it in your phone. I don't know what works for you, but you should have a, a group of verses that are like, these are my verses, <laughs> Uh, Like, I know what I struggle with, and these are the verses that help me, could help me in those moments. I mean, I'm just telling you, I think that's a powerful understanding that in one sense there are verses that would speak into your situations, and if you could be ready for what Satan's bringing in your life, you should be ready by having those verses. Wow. Well, with that, can I just press a little further? I think you should have those verses, and then you should memorize them. Yeah, I really think you should. I think there ought to be a sense that scripture memory should be a part of it. And let me just say this. We live in a weird generation. We have a weird generation where some people are like, man, that is so like old school. Like that's just, like who does scripture memorization? Like you did that in in Sunday school. You did that in, you know, vacation Bible school. And nobody memorizes verses. You know, we live in the, you know, ask Siri generation. I'm just telling you, you should memorize verses. You should memorize verses because Jesus did. I I just want to tell you, I think He did. So again, just track with me for a moment. I I don't know if this is gonna work for everybody. So Jesus is facing down Satan, and he quotes three verses. How did he know those verses? Well, I'm telling you again, he has laid aside his omniscience. He doesn't have this catalog of the whole entirety of the word of God and just be able to kind of pull from it all. I mean, he could have if he'd, you know, rested in his divine nature, but he's living as a man. So if he's living as a man, how did he know those verses? Well, I just wanna tell you. He memorized them. I mean, somewhere along the time, he took the time and he memorized those verses. I mean, he memorized what they were so that when he needed them, they're right there. And, and, and he's able just to, to, to speak into those, that moment the verses that he has already committed into his heart. He's not there like, there's a verse. I know there's a verse. Give me a minute. I was like, it's in here somewhere. I highlighted it. I want you to tell you, that will ta- it won't work. I want to tell you there's power in memorizing the word of God. He gives it to us this way in Psalm 119. It says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I mean, here he says, here's what I'm gonna do. God, I don't wanna do the wrong thing. You know how I'm gonna do that? I'm gonna memorize the Bible. I'm gonna memorize verses. I'm gonna memorize verses, and I'm gonna hide those verses in my heart. Colossians in the New Testament would speak much the same thing, where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing. Lots of realities there. He says, you should have this in your heart let it dwell inside of you. Let it be something that's surely one of the ideas is that you should be able to memorize those verses. I just want that to soak in for a moment because scripture memory is powerful. And for some of you here this morning, you do that. You have some verses memorized and please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but why did you memorize them? Some of you memorized them because you, you know, again, it was your vacation Bible school verse or, or it was some class you took and, and you memorized the verses they, t- they gave you. That's not a bad thing and maybe those actually are the verses you need. But the funny thing is that sometimes you don't memorize the verses you really need. I'm telling you, you should know them. You should know what you need and you should have them. You should have them at the ready so that when that happens, when those things press into your life, when you face the things that you always face when Satan picks on you, there should be a sense where you could say, but this is what God says. It is written. God says, God's word speaks this, that there ought to be a sense that because of, of that reality, you are memorizing the very verses that you know you're gonna need. And I wanna tell you, that would be an incredibly powerful reality. And again, not with any kind of condemnation, but I'm just telling you, it should be a part of how you do it. Now, for some of you, it's not that hard. you just start doing it. I mean, you just intentionally memorize verses. There's others like, man, I'm so struggling with memorized verses. Those are so hard for me. Work at it. I mean, just work at it. Like write it down and go over it day after day after day till it's in your your mind and heart. I, I know when one of our daughters was in Bible college, you know, they said for those who really struggled, sometimes just memorize five words at a time. Pick a verse and get five words at a time. You know, like get John three sixteen. For God so loved the, and just stop there till you get that all the way down and then add the next five, you know, and so you could just, I'm gonna get it and I'm gonna memorize these verses because I need them, I need them. And I'm gonna tell you, that would become powerful in your life just to memorize scripture so that when you need it, that's a resource you can tap into. Now, I'm not taking away from that. Definitely not saying that that's not vital because again, I obviously said it's just vital, But I also wanna press into you another reality. I wanna encourage you to receive the verses that the Holy Spirit would give you. Yeah, let's go back to our text. You got your Bibles there, hopefully, Ephesians chapter six. We're looking at this incredible reality of what he's telling us to do, and we notice at the end of the verse, which is where we are, where he says, you know, that we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So let's think through what we know. It's a sword. We've talked about that, this short sword, this in-battle sword. It's an offensive weapon that you get to put into the moment. It's the Word of God. We've talked about that the Word of God is a rhema. It's a specific word. It's not just like, you know, you're throwing the Bible at Satan kind of deal. It's like, I have a promise. I have a promise that this is what God said. But there's another word in here that's interesting. Notice what he says. He says it's the sword of the Spirit. That's interesting. So why does he say that? Why does he tell us that this sword is the sword of the Spirit? You know, there's at least three possibilities to that answer. There's at least three realities that could be there. One, it could just be what we've already talked about, that this is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. They told us that you know our, we- our, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the devil. So if we're going to fight a spiritual w- battle, we need spiritual weapons. That could be part of it. He could be telling us that, that you need the spiritual weapons to face the battle that you're facing. That would be good and that would be consistent in the text. Or it might be letting us know that the book that you and I are talking about, the Word of God, is sourced to us by the Holy Spirit that the reason we can trust the inspiration of the scriptures is because the Bible lets us know that the Holy Spirit so worked in that, that it tells us in Peter that he works through the personalities of the writers of scripture so that everything we have is authentically the word of God and worthy of your trust. That would be also true. That would be another reality. It's like, okay, yeah, this book is the sword that's given to us by the Spirit. Those are good. And maybe they're true in this text. But I hold out to you one other thought. And the thought simply is this, there's a promise that Jesus gave us. There's a promise that Jesus gave us that would help you and I face life. It was the night before he went to the cross. He's there meeting with his disciples. And in John 14, 15, and 16, he's talking to them. And he's basically telling them, I'm about to leave you. Like, we've been doing life together for the last three and a half years. You're about to start life on your own. You're about to kind of, you know, I'm leaving, we go to heaven. This is how you're going to face this world and the powers that I gave you. And, and he gives a lot of things there, but one of the things he highlights a bunch is the work of the Holy Spirit that would be given into our lives. And as he, as he, as he talks about that, as he talks about you know, what that is, he would give it to us this way in John 14. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Some of you are here at Pentecost and we talked about the Holy Spirit that way. We went through that whole section just highlighting that He's our helper, that, he's not, that we're not left into this world alone. It's really good truth. A lot of things that that means to us. But one of them, He says, the Holy Spirit will come and He'll help you. He's going to teach you things, but you know what? He will bring things to your remembrance. He's going to remind you of things when you need them. Now, again, reminding probably is, again, reminding what you've already studied, so there is no like, okay, I I don't have to memorize scripture. No, that's not the way, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, he is this faithful, so that as you're facing a battle, he is faithful enough to hold truths before you in such a powerful way that you might not even have recognized how often he does this or how real it is. But here's how it works. I know for somebody here this morning, it's happened to you, maybe even this week. Like you're going through something, maybe it was a bad day. And it was one of those days where Satan was seeking to do something against you in your life. And all of a sudden, a verse came to your mind. And you're like, I don't even remember memorizing that verse. (laughs) And it wasn't ever in one of my scripture memory programs. But man, there's this verse, it's right before my head. What's happening here? I'm just telling you, that's the Holy Spirit. And he's handing you a sword. He's putting the hilt in your hand saying, take it. Take this truth and take it now. Like you're facing something right now, here's a promise. Here's something that God is saying. And the incredible reality is that he is so faithful to do this, that sometimes exactly when what we're facing, he will place it into our laps. And what I'm telling you is you need to get good so that when you see that, when you recognize what's taking place, you grasp it. You're like, "Mm, grab a hold of that sword. I'm going to grab that truth right now because I obviously need it. I didn't even know I had it. I didn't even know that. I mean, I've read the verse, but I never intentionally memorized it, but it's in my head right now. What, what is this? What, how, how is that happening? That's the spirit of God. He is so incredibly faithful so that when you're facing things, he will put truths in your life that literally could change everything. He's, I, I just wonder if you know anything about that. I mean, you know I hope you do. I hope and once he's like, man, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I mean, how often has probably happened for, for me, it has. I, I don't know if it's happened for you. You know, you're going through something and all of a sudden that verse is there. And, you, and instead of actually grabbing it, I kind of like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't even know I knew that verse. Okay, I'm just going to go on. And instead of recognizing, wait a second, wait a second, that's supernatural. This is a God moment. He's giving me something. I should not be dumb. I should grab this right now because I'm obviously needing it in ways that I didn't know I needed it. I want to tell you, if you do that, you would find yourself able to stand. You would find yourself, because God is saying to you, the way that you could do this, the way that you could stand against Satan's work in your life is by the power of the, of the word of God in there, by the promises of God, and he would do that. So if you would recognize this, like you recognize where it is, and, and truths, whether memorized or, or the work of the Spirit, or most often the both in there, if in that moment you would take it and hold God's truth, and speak that into that moment, I just wanna tell you I think it changes things more than I could ever say. I just wanna tell you this is more powerful, it's kind of simple in some senses, but it's more powerful than than I could possibly put into words. I just wanna tell you in this moment, if you could see what this is, that sometimes the very thing that you need to do is not only believe a truth, hold on to it, but not to get too weird about it, but actually speak it out loud into your situation. I think you would find that can be incredibly powerful. You know, just that if you would say it, and I just want to say it in this simple way, that's exactly what Jesus did. I mean, so Jesus is dealing with Satan, and what did he do? He spoke it. It is written. It is written. I mean, and then he just quotes the verse out loud. I mean, if that's how he did it, I'm just telling you there's something about that. There's something about being able to, in that moment where you recognize that Satan's at work in your life, to be able to speak truth into that. It can be incredibly powerful. I think about it this way. In Hebrews, it gives us this incredible picture where it tells us that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's an incredible reality. And I just want to tell you, that's not even half of it. I just want to tell you that the Bible is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. It's able, I mean, to do things that you didn't even know. I mean, if you would be one that would believe and speak into God's truth, you would define, wow, this thing really is sharp. (laughs) I mean, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It actually can change reality. I think about it this way. I gave it to you a few moments ago in Psalm 119, where it says, you know your Word, I've hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. It's a great verse, again, that tells us of the power of memorizing God's Word. And actually, Psalm 119 as a whole is a psalm that talks about the value of the Word of God, which is incredible in the midst of it. It's arranged in just kind of sections of eight verses at a time, and each section kind of highlighting a specific, you know, aspect of God's truth in our life. And so in this section, he's telling us, hey, this is power. The Word of God, if you would memorize it, it would be power in your life. And why I want you to see that is because... As it explains that to us, it says it this way. After telling us we've hidden it in our heart, he says, with my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I will meditate on your pre- precepts. I will not forget your word. And I'm just asking you to see it again in a kind of simple way. So I memorized it. I've hidden the word in my heart that I won't sin against you. And now I'm speaking it. My lips are going to declare this is what God says. This is what God says. This is what God says. And it's not just kind of, again, kind of magical because I'm going to think about it. I'm going to meditate on it. He says, I'm not going to forget what I've thought. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not going to forget what I've said, what, what, it, what this is. But there is a sense that that becomes things that could literally change everything. It did for Jesus. And if Jesus is the model for us, again, I just want to remind you of what we saw a moment ago. I want you to have you turn back to it because I had you pay attention to it, right? So Satan brings in this time of temptation in Jesus' life, and Jesus deals with each temptation with a promise of the scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. And when he speaks that last truth, it says that the devil departed from him that the devil departed from him and the, the angels came and ministered to him. I mean, everything changed. I mean, everything changed in that moment. Now, it wasn't the end of all temptations because Luke tells us in his rendering of this in Luke 4, it says the devil you know, departed from him until an opportune time. It's like, okay, there'll be another battle. You know, this battle was lost. We'll come back for another battle in this war. Same is true for our lives. But I just want you to see this is what defeated satan and his attack on jesus and it is so often what we so desperately need that it is the power of the word of god that would change the reality around us it's believing his truth speaking that into that moment that that literally could change everything that literally could change everything now again, I think about everything we've talked about. So we've, we've talked about this whole thing of the armor of God. We saw truth and righteousness and the preparation of the gospel of peace. And one more time, I want to tell you, everything up to this point has kind of been defensive and preparatory. I mean, yeah, we need all this. We need this worldview. We need to have the shield of faith. That stops the fiery darts. Have to have the helmet. But it's really the sword that becomes the offensive weapon. It becomes the in contact with Satan, like this is the battle, this is the moment. I mean, you need everything else heading into this moment. There's no way to win that moment if you don't have the other things. But the powerful thing, the, the offensive weapon that now brings about the victory it really is the sword of the Spirit. It really is the power of the Word of God. And I want to tell you, this is so incredible and so powerful because it literally would change things. See, Jesus has already, I mean, he's already told us that, right, in Ephesians 6. You could stand. You could actually stand against what Satan would want to do in your life. How do you do that? Well, you need all those things, but you need a promise. You need God's Word. You need promises that would speak to you all that He would have for you. You need these things, and if you would have them, that would change everything. I wonder if you know anything about this. I mean, again, I think that some of you do. I know I'm talking to some of you here this morning, and you're like, man, I figured that out a while back. I need to do it better. I don't think there's anybody here this morning It's like, Matt totally got that figured out. I think we probably, well, I probably could do that better. Like, I need to pay attention to what God's speaking. I need to receive the work of the Spirit more. I need to definitely hold on to God's truth better. But some of you have figured out this really is the battle. This is really how you win. And I think that's a great thing. But I do know I'm talking to some that you have not figured this out yet. And I'm not even sure why. Sometimes it's just our own ignorance. Sometimes we didn't know better. Sometimes it's our pride. It's a weird thing. It's kind of like we face things and we're like, I can handle this. You know, I'm not a dumb person. I can resist, I can, I can handle this. And I just wanna tell you, if Jesus the Son of God needed to rely on God's truth to defeat Satan, so do you. How foolish you are to try to handle things in your own power, no wonder we so often mess up. If, if you're trying to do it in your own strength, how often that would be our undoing. But if you would kind of learn, it's like, man, you know what, I need truth. I need to know the Bible. I need to know verses that will help me. I need to just pay attention when the Holy Spirit puts a verse in my mind. I need to grab that and hold it, speak it. And the crazy thing is that if you would do this, you would find what Hebrews tells us. God's Word is powerful. His word is a sharp, two edged sword. It is alive. It is powerful. Like, it is incredible. Like, you would find in that moment, like, this darkness that's sometimes just pressing in around your life is all of a sudden just exploded by light. That you would find, like, Satan's pressing in. It's like Satan's like, fine, I'll have to depart from you till another time. Like, I can't, like, you just won. Like, you just, you're, if you're going to hold that, I can't win. And, and you would be like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Like, like really? And I think in one sense, what makes this so powerful is it's not that complicated. I hope I haven't made it complicated, but it's really, I'm just telling you, there's not anybody here this morning that would go, oh, that's too hard for me. I mean, if we're talking about something really, really difficult, there's probably, no wonder I can't live against Satan, because I'm just so, this is not that complicated. I mean, we teach this in Sunday school, and Sunday school kids memorize verses, and, and I'm just telling you, there's not anybody here that couldn't be like, I should do that. I should memorize verses, and I should remember them, and I should speak them into my reality. And wow, you mean that's, that's, that would change the fabric of my life? Yes, it would. Yes, it would. That's, that's the reality of what it is. And so I'm just inviting you to say, hey, this is what you and this is what I need. Wow. So with that before us, let me apply it in a couple quick ways, and then we'll wind it down. You know, I, I think about this, and there's just not anybody here this morning that this isn't what you need. I'm just telling you that. There's not anybody here this morning that would be like, well, that's, that's for somebody else. <laughs> that doesn't work for me. You know, I, I, I can handle this on my own. What? No. There's not anybody that doesn't need this, and that's even true this morning if you don't know Jesus, because the same reality is yours, that Satan has trapped you in a way. I love the way that Paul would say it to us in 2 Corinthians, he says, we have renounced the, the things of hidden sh- of shame and not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but the manifestation of the truth, uh, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, it's a mouthful, but it's an incredible mouthful. He simply said, hey, we're not trying to deceive anybody. We're not manipulating. We're not using human tactics to kind of coerce people into believing. We're just giving them the word of God. We're just handling the word of God, and we're showing, we're manifesting God's truth. We're just like, this is what God says, so that you could decide. He says, so that your conscience, so that every man's conscience would be able to say, okay, is this true, is this not true? He says, this is what we do. We, we give you God's truth, and, and you get to kind of appropriate that and, and, and see the reality of that, and the only thing that really would hinder that would be the work of the devil, which he specifically does in the lives of the lost, because it says, but even... If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, the God of this age, which is the devil, by the way, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine on them. He says, if there are people that don't get this and they totally don't see it, it's because Satan has blinded their eyes. Like he is hindering them from seeing how good this gospel truth is. So here's the thing. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you might've been thinking, well, I'm glad I don't have to do anything with the devil. Oh, yes, you do. He is trying to keep you from Jesus. He is blinding your eyes to the gospel. That is what he does. That is what he does for everybody that doesn't know him. He is the one who is at work in this. He's the God of this age who is blinding the minds of those who don't believe. But here's what I want to let you know. The way that you defeat him is the same way that we defeat him. It's by receiving and believing what God says. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We hear what God says, we believe it, and by believing that it brings salvation. So let's just use an example. Let's go to the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16. You guys know it, right? It's a good verse to have committed to memory, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So here's how this works. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, here's what you get to do. You could believe this. God loves you. God loves the world. He loves the world enough that he gave Jesus. He gave Jesus, and you know what? It's for anybody. Whoever believes in him. I mean, you're whoever, right? I mean, if you believe what God says, like, like, like guess that's me, right? <laughs> like, if I, so if I believe him and what will happen for you, you'll get everlasting life. If you, you, you would believe upon Jesus and be saved and give your life to him, you wouldn't perish. You, you wouldn't perish, but you would have everlasting life, and I'm telling you, it's just that simple, but he's holding it out to you so that the way that you overcome the lie of the devil is by believing what God says. That's how it works, and, and I'm just holding that to you this morning. If you don't know Jesus, that that's what he's inviting you to, that he's inviting you to a relationship where that changes everything, and today, I'm just inviting you to grab hold of it and defeat the devil and find Jesus to be better than you could ever imagine. Wow boy, there's a lot more to see, be said in that, but again, if that's you this morning, we just invite you to it. But I want to close with a picture. And it's a picture given to us in the Old Testament, one of my favorite, and I just feel like it, it's good for me, and maybe it's going to meet somebody here this morning. It's a picture of a man named Eleazar. David, in the Old Testament, many of you guys would recognize him. He's King David. He's the one that God you know, said, here's a man after my own heart who received the promise of Christ. I mean, he's an incredible man that really brings Israel to an incredible height. But he doesn't do so alone. He has a group of men known as the mighty men. Mighty men that came upon him that were God-empowered and God-strengthened and bold, and they did some crazy, crazy cool things. And these are some pretty crazy cool guys. One of them, my favorite, quite honestly, is this man named Eleazar. The account of, of, of this specific story is given twice in Scripture, once in Samuel, once in Chronicles. I'm going to kind of mix the two together because though they say the same story, each one uses a couple different words. And I just like the way it's said in a couple different places, but I think you'll be able to track with me. So it begins there in 1 Chronicles 11 where it says, Eleazar the son of Dodo and Ho- the Ahoite, who is one of the three mighty men. I mean, he's one of three of, of the most mighty that came alongside David. He's with David, it tells us, at Pasmeim, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. So this isn't like David and Goliath. I mean, that's one place where David stood, but there were other places. And so they're standing there. The Philistines have gathered for battle. That's their enemies. David's there. Eleazar's there. Israel's army is there. But the army, the people of of Israel fled from the Philistines. I mean, you just got to imagine it when it tells us in the, in the other, that's in Chronicles and Samuel says it's the army. And so here's the army you know, of Israel. They look and see the Philistines and they go, ah, bye. <laughs> like, we don't want to play. Like that's just too hard, too big, too big, too hard. And so all of them leave except for David and Eleazar. They're the only two left. They're just standing there. The whole army of the Philistines are there and David's standing there alone. And Eleazar's like you and me, boo. Like, let's, like we're going to take them. And so they, they stationed themselves in the middle of the field, like back to back, like, okay, David, you and I against all of these. I mean, like, there they are. You know, like, we're, we're going to stand and they stand. And it tells us he arose, Eliezer arose, and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and, and his hand stuck to the sword. I don't know why. That's just my favorite part of it. It just really is. I mean, I'm just kind of actually, you know, I'm picturing the sword of the Word of God. But it's like Eliezer's fighting all day until finally he's like, my hand is so cramped, I can't even like go of it any longer. It's like I'm just stuck to the sword. And I'm telling you, there's something picturesque here that oh, that you would be such a one that would say, you know, if everybody else quits, I'm not quitting. I mean, if everybody else runs away from the devil, I don't want to run away. Like I'll stand back to back with David. My David actually is Jesus, who's the son of David. He's like, okay, Jesus, you and I, I guess we're gonna stand right here. Like, and I'll hold on to our promise. And I'll hold this until, until it's done, till my hand cramps from holding on to this promise, till I can't let it go because it hurts so much that I'm still holding on to this. It tells us that he does that, and the Lord brought about an incredible victory that day. And the people returned after him only to plunder. I mean, it's kind of just fun. It's like all the Israelites come back. and are like, oh, guess the Philistines could be defeated thanks. You know, like David and Eliezer are like, no problem. Like we did it. You know, like we're the only ones that stood and fought, but everybody else gets to enjoy it. But they stood. Oh, that you would be an Eliezer. Oh, in this generation, you would say, okay, you know what? I'm going to believe God. I mean, I'm, others might. I, I'm going to stand. And the way I'm going to stand against the enemy is I'm going to hold on to God's promises till my hand cramps, till I can't let go of it. I want to be someone who does that. And I want to tell you, God would bring about victory. God defeats the work of our our enemy by the power of us standing and holding onto the, the sword of the Spirit. And it's incredible how powerful it is. May God meet you and help you to do that today. Well, let's end there. So you can close your Bibles if you haven't already done so. And we're just going to give you a moment and I don't know where this found you. Again, maybe this is that moment for you to believe. To believe John 3:16 and to believe in, upon Jesus. Maybe again this is a moment for you who've already been doing this to say, "God, I want to recommit. I need to do that better. I need to hold on to your truth better." And if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to do it. But I do know again I'm speaking to some that you've just been doing so poorly against Satan's attacks. And you kind of like I don't know why I keep trying. I feel like I give it my best well, maybe that's not what you're supposed to be. I mean, if Jesus defeated the devil with the word of God, so should you. And you should. Like, get it. Hold his truth, Believe it. Prove this in your own life. Watch him rescue you from in hard spaces because you believed in the word of God. So quietly between you and the Lord, wherever that is, maybe again believing on him or just refreshing this or maybe committing to it for the first time saying, God, help me to do this. just want to give you a moment. It's a quiet moment where we're each taking a moment to pray before we worship, before we leave. It's just a moment so that whatever God has been speaking to you, you would just let it land into your heart. So you take a moment. I'll do the same and we'll come back together and worship in just a moment. God, right now before you, I ask that you would raise up a group of mighty men and mighty women who, like Eleazar, would stand with you and hold to the sword of the Spirit, even if others are fleeing the scene, even if others seem to be giving up in the face of our enemy. May we stand back to back with our David, with Jesus, with you, And hold on to your truth and watch you bring the victory. Watch you change everything. God, I do pray for each one of us that this would just work in us. For those who don't know you, that they would believe upon you and be saved. For those who figured this out but need to grow in it, grow them. But for those who've never intentionally walked down this path before. And it's held before them in a simple, I hope, way of knowing truths, memorizing them, heeding what you give us, and holding your truth and watching your word change everything. God, would you teach us to do this, and would you bring about the victory in our lives? Would you cause us to stand and to withstand against the devil and his work in our life by the power of your truth? Help. Help. We ask for that. We thank you for your good work and surrender all of this now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May you become one. May you be mighty men and mighty women of God who are like Eliezer and stand. We invite you to that. Well, right now, why don't you guys literally stand? And we're going to close in a final word of of worship. If you need someone to talk with about Jesus or any of this, hey, we're here. We'd love to talk to you afterwards. But right now, I just want to bless you. I just want to bless you with the blessing that's given in Numbers chapter 6 that God says, this is the way I want you to bless my people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon, see I did it, I did this last week, like right there you get the whole